Welcome, everybody. Good to see you. My name is Tim Harris, pastor here at Woodburn Baptist Church. I was out last week. Matt Betts took my place. Man, Matt Betts preached one of the best sermons ever preached in this house. He did such a good job. He preached so hard, he preached himself right into the hospital. Y'all know this? He spent the rest of the day in the emergency room with a kidney stone. Uh, so that's a tough man preaching, y'all. He was up here at 11 o'clock. Uh, he was, uh, and still, he has not delivered the stone yet. So be in prayer for him. God bless him. All of you in the cafe this morning, uh, welcome. Open your Bibles, everybody, to Romans chapter 8. I've been wanting to do this for so long, for so long, preaching straight through verse by verse, Romans 8, one chapter in the Bible. But I'm telling you, if you've only got one chapter in the Bible, this is the chapter you want. This is really, really good stuff. How many of you are raised in the country? Those joining us by audio, video, podcast, uh, if you're living in the city, uh, you, you understand this is your window into rural life right here. And, and I was raised in the country by redneck parents. I, I love them, but, but redneck parents. My dad, most of his experience with, was more raising cows and pigs. So sometimes in parenting, that sort of bled over, and especially when it came to my health care. Because... <laughs> My parents sort of had one thing, and no matter what my complaint was, it was always one thing. And again, this is a country thing, maybe just a country thing from 40 years ago. Um, if I had a stomach ache or anything, they always just assumed that I was wormy. <laughs> Anybody else? Yeah? Okay, yeah. Okay, good, good. Um, somebody should have got social services on all of our parents. Uh, my parents had this big green bottle of worm medicine. I think it was for people, but I wouldn't bet my life on it. It was, it was green bright green, and it was kind of sticky, oily, and it, it, was, it was sort of like drinking nitroglycerin. It, it was horrible. But the purpose, children, was if there had been, you know, parasites living in my gut, uh, that would burn them out. Uh, and so this was my parents' approach to anything. If, if, if my sister and I had a stomach ache, we had to be wormy, so we'd have to drink, you know, some of that. It didn't, I don't know if it cured stomach aches, but it certainly cured complaining because I didn't say anything you know, at all. My sister used to snore and talk in her sleep, and my father decided it was because she was wormy. I mean, I mean, yeah, yeah. Seriously, somebody should have called social services a long time ago on, on Don and Diane. No, it's just that idea that no matter what the problem was, there was one solution. It was worm, you know, worm medicine out of the cabinet. Uh, I'm not about to compare Romans 8 to worm medicine, but I just want to say whatever it is that's ailing you, whatever it is, what questions you have, what struggles you have in your spiritual life, it's probably right here in Romans 8. The answer is Romans 8. When anybody asks me, Pastor Tim, I'm sort of, I, I'm, I'm sort of lost in the Bible. I really don't know what to read. What should I read? I always say Romans 8. Just read Romans 8. If somebody says, Pastor Tim, I'm struggling with guilt. Romans 8. Pastor Tim, I'm struggling in my prayer life. Romans 8. Pastor Tim, I just don't really know if God loves me. Romans 8. I mean, Romans 8, no matter what your complaint is, Romans 8 is the remedy. Romans 8 is the answer. So I take you to Romans 8 this morning, and this is where we begin. It's a series called Life in the Spirit. We're going to do Romans 8 now for several weeks, Sunday morning, Sunday nights. This is good stuff. Going to go uh, a deep dive nice and slow. So let's start Romans chapter 8 verse 1. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. It's, it's only two verses. Let's read that again. Now there is therefore no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. 
And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Two verses. Let's stop right there. Now, since the passage begins with a therefore, one of the rules of Bible reading is anytime you see a therefore, you need to look and see what it's there for. And it always connects what you're reading to what comes before. So we've got to back up a little bit into Romans chapter 7 to understand what it means when Paul says there is therefore no condemnation. You need to understand what this means. To understand what it means, let me tell you, gosh, I guess it was Monday, I was mowing my yard, and there was this really, really bad dead squirrel in my yard. I've never seen anything decompose like this. It was, it was uh, kind of, by the time I mowed over it, <laughs> it was uh, sort of this puddle in the grass of just black goo and fur and bones and um, maggots, worms. Um, Anyway, I mowed over it, you know, because that's what I couldn't. I, it was kind of fun just to mow over it. <laughs> um, I, I, I mowed over it. <laughs> I mowed over it. Um, and, and I forgot about it. It was just sort of there. It was gross. I could smell it as if the wind was just right, but I forgot about it. Anyway, it was Thursday. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I, I did my long run. I, I came home. When I run home, uh, my dog, Aggie, will typically meet me at the neighbor's house. She'll go up to the Newtons. And then when I come by, sure, it's just a really happy, you got, you got to love dogs. My dog just runs out, and she's so happy to see me. And then we run all the way home together. It's just fun. She's the only friend I got in the world, y'all. My dog just runs back with me. So when we get back in the yard, I'm sort of stretching on the sidewalk, getting ready to go back in the house. As I stretch, my dog just walks right over to the, that dead squirrel. I mean, I mean, like, like it was an appointment. And, and it's been there for weeks, but all of a sudden, Thursday morning was the day she just walked right over and ate it. Yeah, yeah, seriously. The first thing, this, yeah, this is so true. The first thing she did was the tail. Now, the tail was about this long, and it just was like this straight wire with fur. And she swallowed it whole. I don't know how she did it, but, but she was looking at me and grinning while she did it. She just sort of had that tail, and she was like, and then she got that thing down. And then she went back, and then she started on the rest of the bones. And she would just like this and look at me in the eye while she did it. And then she went back and just started licking up that, that black goo wormy mess. You know, yeah. It get, you hear, it gets worse. Want to hear the rest of that? <laughs> so here's the rest of that. Uh, I do it always. I, I went, I laid down on this. Y'all have dogs. I'm just going, I laid down on the sidewalk and I was kind of stretching with my eyes closed, relaxed, you know, thanking Jesus for a beautiful day. And all of a sudden my dog came up real quiet, licked me on the side of the mouth. Yeah. Oh yes, he did. Right there on the side of the mouth. Yeah. So that was good. That, that, that was good. Now, why did she do that? That's disgusting. Why would she do that? Why would she think that that week's old dead squirrel, I mean, it, was not, it wasn't any meat on the bones at all. It was just hair and bones and, and, and disgust. Why would she think that that was good to eat? The better question, why would she think I would want that on the side of my face? Because she is a dog, you understand? She is a dog, and that is simply her nature. If she were in a pack of other canines, she would be like the most popular girl, you understand? That's just what dogs do, and it is in her nature to do that. Dogs scavenge, dogs love that. So she's just being a dog. You can't expect anything else from her. 
Now, this is probably why in the book of Proverbs and elsewhere in Scripture, there's a verse that says, as a dog returns to its own vomit. In other words, it's the nature of a dog to return to a warm puddle of disgust. That's what dogs do. As a dog returns to its own vomit, so a fool returns to his ways. So Scripture actually compares us to that. Scripture compares us to dogs in the way the dogs will always go toward the warm puddle of disgust and, and lick that up. The so Scripture says we're like that. We're like that in that we are sinners. And because we are sinners, it is our nature somehow always to go to the warm puddle of disgust. Now, we don't want to do it. We often say we'll never do it again. We'll tell people we don't enjoy warm puddles of disgust. But when nobody's looking, we go back every single time. It is our nature. We are sinners. And we can't help ourselves. This is the message in Romans chapter 7, the, the chapter that comes right before Romans chapter 8. This is what Paul is saying. Look at verse 15 in chapter 7. Paul says, I don't really understand myself. For what I want to do is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I, I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong, but it is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. This is a conundrum that Paul describes here. And it is the conflict, the tension that is within his own skin. He says, I don't understand myself. Because I get up every morning and say, I'm going to do better. I'm going to be a better person. I'm not going back to what I did yesterday. I'm not going to break my promise. Today is going to be different. Paul says, I say, I, I, I'm not going to do that. But he says, the very thing I say I'm not going to do, I go back and do it every time. Given the option, I return to the warm puddle of disgust every time. So this is what Paul says. So here's sort of the nature of what it means to be a sinner. There are always two stories to be told about you. There's the story of what you should have done and the story of what you did. And you always know what you should have done. You always know right from wrong. You know. You know because you say, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to do that again. This will be the last time. But it's never the last time. Always two stories to be told about you and me. There's a story of what I meant to do. There's a story of what I knew to do. And then there's a story of what I did. I never end up doing the things I say I'm going to do, the, the right things I want to do. I, I'm going to be a better man, I say. Somehow I never, I, I never turn out to be a better man. This is the, the, the slavery of sin as Paul describes it. Look what he says in verse 20. If I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It's sin living in me. What? That, yeah, that sounds like your kid. says, wasn't me. What, wasn't me. Hey, who, who was it left my tools in the yard? My dad used to say, I go, wasn't me. You know, well, who else could it be? Wasn't it you? Wasn't it you? Yeah, yeah. That's kind of convenient, isn't it? You have to say, hey, that, that wasn't me at all. You know, hey, you know, the other day when you, you know, you overheard that phone conversation, you heard me, you know, saying all those bad words and cussing that person out, <laughs> that really wasn't me. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, it sounds kind of convenient when Paul says, when I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing that. That's not really who I am. No, that's who you are all day long, Paul. That, that's who you are. Paul's not denying responsibility for his sin. 
He's not saying, I'm not responsible because that's not really the person I like to be. No, that's not what he's saying. He's talking about sin here, and he's trying to make a very important point, and it's a point you and I need to understand, and that is simply sin is a power. Sin is power, and, and it is more powerful than you are. Sin's not just these bad habits that you have. Sin is not simply the fact that you sometimes do bad things. For Paul, and and, and in the spiritual life, understand sin is power. It it is a power that has taken up residence in your life. It, It is a power, and it is power over you. And you are powerless when it comes to sin. You can't help yourself. You say you're going to do better. If you could do better, you'd have been better a long time ago. Will you not just agree with that? You say you're going to turn over a new leaf, but, but you keep going back to the same tree. You understand? You're just turning over the same old leaves. Nothing ever changes with you and me because we're sinners. If we could change ourselves, if we could help ourselves, we would have done that a long, long time ago. And this is why Paul says, what a miserable person I am in verse 24. What a miserable person I am. Have you ever been to that place? Have you ever said that very same thing? What a miserable person. I am so miserable in this. You ever been so tired of going back to the warm puddle of disgust and you just keep saying, why am I doing this? I'm miserable. I mean, you're on your third, you're on your fourth marriage, and you keep saying, why can't I get this right? I'm miserable. It's miserable being me. You're you're addicted to drugs, you're addicted to alcohol, you're addicted to pornography, and you tell yourself, I'm beginning to hate the person that I am. I don't even like myself. What a miserable person. This is what Paul is saying, and this is the prison of sin. This is what it means to be a slave to sin. And every person born, every person ever born, every person alive is a slave to sin in this way. Sin is your problem, and you can't fix it by yourself. You can't fix it. So Paul says in verse 24, what a miserable man I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Who's going to rescue me? I can't do it myself. Somebody else is going to have to reach down and lift me out of this. Who's going to rescue me? And what's the answer? Say it. That's Jesus. Absolutely. Verse 25, thank God. The answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really do want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. Who's going to rescue me? The answer, of course, is Jesus. Jesus is going to rescue me. So how does Jesus rescue me? How does it work? How does he do this? Now remember, the rescue is from sin. You and I are slaves to sin. We are in in sin's prison. We can't help ourselves. We can't change ourselves. What does Jesus do? Very simply, I die and Christ lives in me. This is the gospel message. I die. That part of me that is enthralled by sin, it dies. That, that, that part of me that continues to go back to the warm puddle of disgust, it dies. That part of me that is a slave to sin, it is set free. Jesus does this. That sinner in me, that sinful nature, it is put to death, and then Christ lives in me. You understand? So now the life I live is not really I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's the way Paul puts it. 
So understand, this is what happens in Romans chapter 7. It goes on that long, long trail of Paul describing that conflict, that horrible struggle of being a slave to sin. And then he talks about the delivery, the rescue that Jesus brings. And if you're a believer, you've lived that story. You know what Paul is talking about. Thanks be to God, he says, because Jesus has rescued me. Now, Romans chapter 8, all that, y'all, was just introduction. You're welcome. (laughs) Romans chapter 8. So now, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus because you belong to him. The power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. No condemnation. What does that mean? No condemnation. Condemnation literally here, the Greek word that Paul uses, uh, it literally means the, the, the sentence of death. It's like you've been in a courtroom and the judge has pronounced you guilty and then he sentenced you to be punished, sentenced you to, to death, to, to, to pay the penalty for your sin. This is what Paul says, there's none of that now. Now, you've got to let that sink in. There is no condemnation. There is no one that can bring an accusation against you. That Though you are guilty as sin, understand. Because of what Jesus has done, there is no guilt for you now. You're not guilty anymore. There is no condemnation. There is no sentence of punishment. That's all gone. See, y'all look at me blankly, which lets me know y'all don't understand what we're talking about. I've been a pastor for 20 years, and I will say very, very honestly, most people don't know what this is talking about. However, they need to know. They need to understand. Because this condemnation that Paul says is not a part of our lives, unfortunately, it's a part of a lot of your lives. And this is what trips you up. You live this life under condemnation, and it is not what Christ has for you. This is, what the, this is the trap that the devil places you under. You've been set free, but the problem is you don't know you're free yet. We had this guinea pig a number of years ago. His name was Charlie. I, I got to feeling sorry for Charlie. We had this giant, it's about this size, this giant guinea pig cage. I mean, it was big enough for, you know, like, you know, a family, a village of guinea pigs. It was big. But Charlie just, I don't know if he got depressed. I mean, he's a little bit bipolar. I don't know what the guinea pig problem was. Could have been wormy, my dad would say. Um, Charlie just got to where he'd just sit in one corner, you know, of his cage, like all the time, just sit in a corner. Well, you know, I'm going to put him in the cage. I felt a little bad for that. I felt for the fact that he seemed so, you know, despondent. So anyway, one day I was at like Pets and More, and they had this giant guinea pig exercise ball, like a plastic ball. You drop your guinea pig in it, you close the door, and then he can just run. He can go where he could go to Portland. He'd be disappointed when he got there, but, but you know, <laughs> take me back to my, no, just kidding, Portland people. Um, I just thought, man, Charlie's going to love this. He's going to, I'm going to put him in. He can go all over the house. I mean, he can follow me to work. I mean, Charlie can, he's free. He's going to be free. So, so we took him home. Again, a giant plastic guinea pig exercise ball. Got Charlie out. You know, I dropped him in it. What do you think he did? Yep. He sat, in the, he sat depressed in the ball. So I, I thought, you know, he doesn't understand this works. So I kind of roll it. I just kind of roll the ball and he just ride. So I'd roll a little harder. You roll it harder. He just, (laughs) he would not move his feet. Charlie would not move his feet. And that's when I understood. Charlie's been in that cage so long 
That now it's not that Charlie's in the cage. The cage is in Charlie. You see, even outside the cage, he had lost all desire. He, he had lost even the imagination that he could be free and walk to Portland. You understand? He had lost all of that. Now Charlie was just, if you set him out in the middle of the floor, he wouldn't go anywhere. In the cage or outside of the cage, Charlie was still caged. And even though Christ has set you free, Christ has rescued you, that part of you enthralled to sin, it's dead. You are not a prisoner to your sin anymore. But even though that is true and Christ lives in you, you now have a power over sin. You do not have to live that life anymore. You continue to live that life. This is the message to prisoners. Christ has set you free. So now you can be free. You don't have to live Romans chapter 7 anymore. You are no longer a slave to the person you've always been. You are no longer a slave to sin. Sin has no power over you anymore except for the power that you give it because Christ has power way beyond the power of your sin. Do you not understand this? Christ has set you free. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free. He set you free. But you're not free. There are a lot of ways this figures. The fact that we're no longer condemned, yet we still condemn ourselves. We let the devil condemn us and continue to feel guilty all the time, although the scripture says there's no guilt now for us, no guilt in life. I was running the Louisville Marathon several years ago. I'm a runner, but I'm not a good runner. Some people make running look easy. I just make running look hard. Uh, y'all know that. You see me out on the, I mean, people stop and offer me rides. <laughs> That's not a joke. You know, I, I, I look like death. I look like, you know, walking dead. And I looked worse than the Louisville Marathon. I mean, the marathon is a 26.2 mile race. And uh, anyway, I was running at about mile 19 in Cherokee Park in Louisville on the hills. You know, it was bad, but I was determined to drag my sorrow behind across the finish line. So I was just going, you know, coming on through there. And they had photographers, <laughs> photographers posted along the course, you know, so they could capture these moments of velocity and victory, you know, as I come by. But it wasn't like that at all. I mean, I'm just, you know, <laughs> you know coming up. So the photographer, I think he's trying to encourage me. But what he says is, hey, buddy, run faster. Okay, I'm at mile 19 of a marathon. He said, and he pumps his arms like this. You know, run faster. What do you think the problem is? I just forgot to run faster. You know, like this is going to help me. I'm at mile 19. This is all I got. I don't say any of that. I'm just like... So the picture he took of me is marvelous. I was like, I should have just died right in front of him. Let him take a picture. Take a picture of this right here, buddy. (laughs) We do that to each other in church. We condemn each other. In other words, we just sort of pile it on. We continue to make each other feel like you just need to do better. Do better. Do more. Come to church more. Give more. Serve more. Just jump in more. You need to give us more. And and, and I know that sometimes in church, this is exactly how we respond to each other. It's like we just forgot to be better people. We we condemn one another. We we make, we add to the guilt all all of the time. So where were you last Sunday night? We had church. I said, where were you last Sunday? We had a really good service last Sunday night. Not a lot of people here. Where were you? 
You know, we just add to the guilt all of the time. But, but you really can't manipulate people with guilt if they're not somehow living under this cloud of condemnation. Christ sets us free from that. But some of us continue to live under that. So when we get to church, it just continues to compound that feeling of I need to do more. I need to be better. I need to sing. I need to serve. Uh, sometimes we come to church and it's just so frustrating. I know some of us get so frustrated. It's like, what do you think, that I just forgot to stay married? What do you think, that I'm just not trying hard enough? This is all I've got. You understand, we really are slaves to sin. Christ gives us power over that, but it's very difficult when you've always lived as a prisoner, always lived as a slave. It's very difficult to fathom that you've been set free. And it doesn't help necessarily when at church we just continue to encourage each other to serve more, to do better, to be better people. If you could be better people, you'd have been better a long time ago. We don't point people toward better behavior. We point people to Christ. When you meet Christ, when he sets you free, he'll take care of your behavior. See, at church we're too often just the behavior police. Instead of the ones who just point people to Jesus. If I just point you to Jesus, he'll take care of your behavior. There's no condemnation, but there's certain reasons why in church sometimes we leave a little condemnation hanging because that makes you a little bit more easy to, uh, you know, get to go work in the nursery. Understand? There's no condemnation. There's no threat of punishment. There's no sentence of punishment anymore. See, that's the other thing. If you live under condemnation, then you always feel like you should be punished. And either consciously or subconsciously, you'll act that out. Years ago, I had a friend who was getting married. She's a good girl, and she was marrying a great guy. The night before her wedding, like after the rehearsal, um, she did something horrible, just something horrible that she knew would start a tremendous argument with her fiance, with the husband, the guy she's going to marry the next day. I mean, she just blew this thing up on the night before the wedding. And we had a long talk after this was all over, and, and I just asked her, why, why would you do that? I, I don't understand why you would do this. It was the night before your wedding, why would you do that to him? Why would you just, you know, because it seemed intentional. It seemed on purpose. She just blew it all up. Why would you do that? You know what she told me? She said, I don't know. It's just that the next day I was going to be so happy. Now, can you explain that? She knew she was going to be so happy. It's almost like in her life, she felt like happiness was something that she didn't deserve. The, the, the idea that she'd met a, a really good guy and that they were about to be married and she was going to have a good life, that scared her. She never felt worthy of that. And, and through her life, there is that pattern with her that every time her life w would get better, she will blow that up. It's almost like she sabotages her own life at every turn. And I think it has something to do with this right here. I think this is a person who constantly lives under condemnation. She constantly lives under this idea that she's a horrible, shameful person who should be punished. And therefore, she just seeks that. 
She doesn't know how to live happily. She only really knows how to live when her life is blowing up. So she constantly blows her own life up. She sabotages her own life, her own happiness. I think it has something to do with Romans chapter 8. I think it has something to do with this first verse, these first words, where it says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're not guilty anymore. There is no one who is going to punish you. Jesus has rescued you. You now can live a whole different kind of life. You're free. You don't have to seek punishment anymore. You don't have to punish yourself. You don't have to try to find a guy to marry who will do the punishing for you. You don't have to be punished anymore at all. Christ has set you free. Now, understand that there are sort of two things, and they're both churchy words, and we get them confused. The first word is condemnation. I've been talking about that. That is to be pronounced guilty. It's, it's to have a sentence of punishment. The other word is Conviction. Conviction. Now, in the New Testament, condemnation is not a part of life in Christ. Nobody is going to condemn you, understand? But conviction is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will convict you. So understand, condemnation is not conviction. Two words, two very different things. One is from the enemy, one is from the Holy Spirit. And we're talking about life in the Spirit. So let's be really, really clear. As a believer, I still continue to sin. I'm not a prisoner to sin. I'm not a slave to sin. Christ has set me free. But it's very, very difficult for me to live that life of freedom. I'm still learning. So I still continue at times to go back to the warm puddle of disgust, which is my sin. I still do that. When I do that, the Holy Spirit convicts me. This is his work in my life. And it's instant and it's immediate. I can't live that way anymore. Christ has changed the person I am. I am no longer comfortable with my sin. I'm not at home there anymore. I can visit my old ways, but I know I don't live there. Do you understand? The Holy Spirit will will remind me and tell me, this is not you. You're a child of God. You belong to Christ, and this is not the way a man of God behaves. Understand, the Holy Spirit convicts. When the Holy Spirit convicts me, it's always very specific. I mean, it's names, dates, and places. When the Holy Spirit convicts me of my sin, he shows me my sin, and I know exactly what he's talking about. Now, why does the Holy Spirit convict me of my sin? So that I will admit it and quit it. So that I can confess it and find forgiveness. Conviction is constructive. Conviction is what leads me closer to the holiness of of God that's being created through Christ in me. Do you understand? Conviction is the Holy Spirit's positive work to help me leave the sin in my life and move closer to Christ. It's conviction. It's particular. It's specific. I always know exactly what I did and exactly what I need to do to make it right. The Holy Spirit is clear. Y'all with me? That's the Holy Spirit's conviction, and it's a part of every one of our lives. Conviction is not condemnation. Condemnation is not specific. Condemnation is this gray cloud of guilt and shame that just hangs over your life. So no matter what you do, you can't do enough. 
No matter how good you are, you'll never be good enough. You'll never be a good enough mother. You'll never be a good enough wife. You'll never be good enough at work. You'll never be good enough for your friends. You'll never be good enough. It's, it's this gray cloud of condemnation that just hangs over your head, always making you feel unworthy, always making you feel guilty, always making you feel like somebody ought to just punish you. You understand? You've been set free from this. I mean, Paul had lived the old story. Paul said, I, I want to be this man, but, but the man I plan to be every single day, I turn out to, to be a different kind of man. It's the man I don't even want to be. I say I'm going to do one thing all the time. I'll do the other thing every single time. I say I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to look at that again. I'm never going to say that again. But the very thing I say I'll never do, I'm doing it every day. Who will rescue me, Paul says? Jesus. Thanks be to God. It's Jesus. He sets me free. And because of that freedom that he's given me, There's therefore now no condemnation. There's no gray cloud of guilt and shame. That is gone. Gone because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. Do you understand? You're free. Because of Jesus, you've been set free. There is no one to condemn you. So stop living like slaves. Pray with me. As many times as we read it, Lord, it's still very difficult for some of us to believe. Lord, we know what we've done better than anybody else knows, Lord, and you know what we've done. You know our past. Lord, we have done horrible things to people that we love. Lord, we have betrayed people. We have cheated. We have lied, Lord. We have done such things that if people in this church knew what we did, they probably wouldn't even like us. They probably wouldn't even want us to be in this church, Lord. We know what we've done. And and even though the gospel says that we can be forgiven, Lord, even though the gospel says we can be set free from all of that, Lord, it's really difficult to walk up from under that cloud of guilt and shame and condemnation. Lord, we still feel so guilty, and it still feels like somebody ought to punish us. It feels like the hammers should drop at any time. So help us. Jesus, help us. Rescue us, not just from our sin, but from the stain of our sin. Uh, Rescue us, Lord, not just from our guilt, but from that cloud of guilt, that shadow that continues to hang over us, Lord. Help us to know what it means to live without condemnation, without a sentence of punishment. Help us to know what it lives, what it means, Lord, to live under a different power, a a different ruler, a, a, a different law. Teach us, Lord, how to walk free underneath the law of life in the Spirit. Holy Spirit, speak to us. We thank you for the way you put your finger on the sin in our lives. We thank you for the way you point us toward repentance and forgiveness. We thank you for the way you help us to live a life that is free and pure. So, Holy Spirit, 
convict us, work in us, show us how we should walk and how we should think and what we should be, and then give us the power to think and walk and be what you want us to be. We don't have that power in ourselves. We can't help ourselves. So, Holy Spirit, help us. Jesus, rescue us. God, forgive us of our sins and teach us what it means to walk free. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior, our Rescuer.